from verse 1, the fall of Babylon. Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Take off your veil. Lift up your skirts, bare your legs and wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence, go into darkness, Queen City of the Babylonians. No more will you be called Queen of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand and you showed them no mercy. Even on the aged you laid a heavy yoke. You said, I am forever the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now listen, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am the one who is none, there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. But of these, but of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Both of these will overtake you on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe will, catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. And jumping to Revelation 18, from, chapter, from verse, Revelation 18, from verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Warning to escape Babylon's judgment is the next section. When I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord who judges her. 
When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 from verse 6. Of jumping around today. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thanks, David. Thanks, Daniel. I should have also mentioned there's a nice connection between your church and the one I work with through Dan Peterson sitting over there in the Chicago Bulls hat. Um, Dan preaches for us up at Piper's River. Um, Well, it was once a month, wasn't it, Dan, last year? And he did a great job, and the little congregation up there loved having him every month, and he's going to do it again this year. So thanks for um, loaning him to us. We really appreciate his help and ministry. Uh, Let's pray as we continue to um, be addressed by the living God, our Heavenly Father, in his word. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be together as your people. We know that this is your great purpose, to call and gather together out from all the nations, your people, your elect, whom you love, your treasured possession, 
whom you have justified freely by the death of your Son. You love to gather us together to worship you in spirit and in truth and to hear your word. We ask, Father, that you might graciously reveal something more of your greatness, particularly as we see it in your Son. And, uh, Father, grant us ears to hear what you're saying to us in your word today and hearts that are ready and willing to respond with repentance and faith and joy. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Satan has three great allies in his war on the earth and on us, the church of God. I wonder if you know what those three great allies are. If you'd like some help, please open your Bible to the book of Revelation. We're not actually going to be um, dealing with chapter 12, but I'd like to start there. Chapter 12. The first thing I'd like to do is to make a very important observation from verse 9. Who is the great dragon there? Feel free to call out. Who's the great dragon of the book of Revelation? Who is that ancient serpent? Verse 9, the devil. Or Satan. And notice what his mission is in the world. There it is, clear as day. To lead the whole world astray. The great deceiver. And in that wonderful verse, we're told that he has been hurled down. When was that? At the cross. At the cross of Christ, he was defeated. And yet notice at the end of verse 12, he's filled with fury. He's he's defeated but not yet finished because he knows that his time is short. And notice in verse 17, he's gone off now and raged to wage war upon the earth and on God's people. And in chapter 13, we're introduced to the first two of his three great allies. We're not going to unpack them because today I want to look at the third of those with you. But just notice, firstly, the first great ally is the sea beast. Thanks, Simon. Um, There's some PowerPoint slides uh, with this sermon. Uh, The sea beast symbolises any political power demanding absolute loyalty and worship and that persecutes Christians who don't. There's a good example. In the second half of chapter 13, we're introduced to Satan's second great ally in his war, the earth beast, 
Next slide, thanks. Symbolising any false religion and ideology tied to political power. Now, we could also put up, uh, well, I could also add to that militant Islam today. But today, we're looking at Satan's third great ally in his war on earth. I wonder whether you know what it is. Come with me to chapter 17 for the answer. Thanks. Next slide. My questions today for you are these. Who is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth, as she is described in chapter 17, verse 5? Who is she? My next question today is, as Christians in the West, are you and I flirting with this prostitute or worse? And what does God say to us about that? And my third question is, what's her future? If you're interested in the answers to those questions, then stay tuned in with me now in chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation. Notice in chapter 17, verse 1, and remember this is vision. So there is great and powerful and potent symbolism that we mustn't take literally. Real historical persons and peoples and events, but portrayed symbolically, given in vision. Notice in verse 1, John is invited to see the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. Who is she? Thankfully, John will be told who she is. Come with me to the end of the chapter in verse 18. There she is. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. The great prostitute's incarnation in the first century was, is, yes, Rome. The great city of Rome whose empire dominated many peoples. In fact, notice back in verse 1, She's to, he's told that she sits on many waters. And in verse 15, that's explained as Rome's imperial power over the peoples of the world. But why is she called the great prostitute? It's evocative language, isn't it? Potent language. Have a look at verse 2. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Verse 4. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. 
She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. In her great luxurious wealth and power, Rome seduces the nations to trade with her, which we'll see in chapter 18. And like a prostitute, like a prostitute, she seduces the peoples of the earth with her immorality. In other words, through both domination and captivation, she globalised her emperor worship, her love for consumption and her godless sexuality. Emperor Nero's tutor, uh, Seneca, who was a distinguished first century Roman philosopher and writer, described Rome as a filthy sewer. Across the Greco-Roman world, people had become obsessed with sex and marriage was very short-lived, as you would expect. It's well documented that there was no limit to the depravity of, the, of sexual practice from the emperor down to the person on the street. Sex outside of marriage, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedophilia, group sex and bestiality were all widely practised and accepted. With one exception... Do you know who that was? The Christians. The people of God. Not only would they not worship the emperor, but they refused to conform to the empire's standards. Which explains the chilling picture in verse 6. Notice she binges on the blood of those faithful saints who won't conform, who remain loyal to Jesus, not Caesar as Lord, but to Jesus as Lord. Now remember, this woman is Satan's ally in his war on the earth to deceive and to persecute God's people. So in verse 3, notice, we see her sitting on the, on the same beast that we meet in chapter 13, the Roman emperor, with his divine pretension and his demand to be worshipped. And the beast's seven heads are explained in verses 9 and following. Uh, 
as being Rome's past, present and future kings, emperors. Next slide. Thanks, Simon. We missed one. Next one. Thanks. Babylon judged. Chapter 18. In chapter 18, John hears the announcement of God's judgment of the great prostitute. Verse 2. Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. Why is she called Babylon? Think back to your Old Testament. Remember Babel. Genesis chapter 11. The name of that ancient city built by those wanting to make a name for themselves, wanting to derive their significance and security apart from God. In essence, to replace God. Then there was the Babylonian Empire, remember, which brutally subdued nations and took God's people into captivity and treated them harshly. So it's very significant that in chapter 18, verse 7b, notice the voice in heaven quotes Isaiah chapter 47, which we heard read earlier. Because in Isaiah, those words are spoken of the Babylonian Empire. Like Satan, ancient Babylon aspired to be equal with God, supreme, eternal, indestructible, immune from judgment. And in John's day, Babylon's latest incarnation was the Roman Empire the so-called eternal city with its divine emperors and its obscene extravagance and immorality that it exported to the world. An incredibly powerful ally in Satan's war, seducing and corrupting many peoples, slaughtering and terrorising countless Christians. Except that God had said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Chapter 18, verse 8, continues the quote from Isaiah 47. No city... No empire, no civilization or peoples is eternal or immune from judgment. God judges her. And God did. In the 5th century, the eternal city was sacked 
by the Vandals and Goths and the Roman Empire came to an end. And who would mourn and weep over this catastrophe? All those who slept with the prostitute. Do you see who they are? Chapter 18, verse 9, the political leaders of the earth. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth. Notice at the end of verse 13, whose cargo included human slaves. And verse 17, all who conducted their business on the seas. And there they are, all represented in verse 3. Have a look. Babylon is fallen, verse 2. Why? Because, verse 3, she corrupted the nations and their leaders with her evils, and the earth's merchants and middle class profited from her obscene wealth. Who then would the world hold up as Babylon's great ones? Her great leaders? Would it be her philanthropists? Her Dick Smiths who give millions to charities? Would it be her spiritual leaders? Look at the middle of verse 23. It's her merchants. Her money makers. Now don't forget, Babylon is a key ally in Satan's war. And remember, we saw in chapter 12 that his mission is to lead the whole world astray into false worship. Now, look at the very end of verse 23. In the Greek, there is a because... That, I don't know why the NIV chooses not to translate. This is how it reads. Stay with me. Your merchants were the world's great men because by your magic spell all the nations were led astray. You see, Babylon is a very effective ally of Satan. It's like she casts a spell over all the nations. The whole world is deceived into believing the lie that life is about making loads of money. That it's about endless consumption having nice things. That it's about comfort and ease and security. And that sexual morality is for religious prunes. That in this new world of plenty and pleasure, anything goes. And in such a world... Of course, 
there is no place for God or his people. And so we read verse 24. Verse 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints. As we've been looking at Babylon and her first century incarnation, has, have you been getting the sense that she is strangely familiar? Uncomfortably familiar? Do you know why that is? The Western world displays all the same characteristics of the great prostitute. Just like the Roman Empire, we've globalised greed. Thanks, Simon. Let's make sure we're up to the right slide. Yep. We've globalised greed, which the Apostle Paul says is idolatry. We've globalised endless consumption and economic growth, wasteful excess and extravagance and boastful pride. We've globalised and normalised porn and sexual immorality that now rivals that of the Roman Empire. And this Babylon is viciously turning on those Christians who dare to question the system and the morality. It is a great prostitute. It's all very intoxicating and seductive, shopping and sex. Who needs God when you can have all this stuff and all this sex? And the futurists say that the future is just going to be unimaginable. We won't recognise our world. In 5, 10, 20 years, it's just going to be that much faster and smarter and we're going to be so well connected and so prosperous. And God says, chapter 18, verse 7, and God says, In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I'm not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning and famine. At the beginning, I asked you if you might be flirting with this prostitute. Or worse, could you be guilty of having a love affair with her, a secret desire for things, for riches, for the security that wealth offers? Is there a love of comfort, of nice things, 
Thanks, Simon. Next slide. A blind, uncritical devotion to Harvey Normism. Upsizing, upgrading, downloading. And how are we going? Swimming against the tidal wave of sexual immorality that's flowing down the sewer of the Western world. Are you out of the water? Is your toe in it? Are you up to it? Is it at your knee, waist, chest? Are you drowning in it? Do you need help? Get help. I also asked at the beginning what God says his people's response must be to the prostitute that is Babylon. Well, you'll find that in verse 4. Have a look. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Does God mean for us to leave Australia? Is that what we're supposed to do? I don't think so. Uh, The Western world has influenced virtually everywhere now, hasn't it? We need to leave the planet, I think. I actually think what John says in his first letter, don't go there because of time, but I think that what he says in his first letter helps explain what God means here. Let me quote for you. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but the man or woman who does the will of God lives forever. To come out of Babylon is to break off the love affair. Because you don't love her anymore or what she loves. It's to love the Father and what he loves Generosity, holiness, service, a life that's centred on the gospel and on promoting the gospel. After all, only the gospel of Jesus and the Spirit of God are powerful enough to break the spell that people are under. And to set them free from this love affair. 
and to change their affections. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. It's a gracious and serious warning for compromised Christians. If you persistently and willfully live like a Babylonian, it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. In the end, God will treat you like a Babylonian. Today we live in a system designed to keep you discontent with everything, basically, your phone, your garden, your house. Better Homes and Gardens is the name of the television show. Why shouldn't it be perfectly adequate homes and gardens? Let me read again from that reading uh, in 1 Timothy. Don't go there, just listen. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Thanks, Simon. Next slide. Remember the parable of the soils Jesus told. The seed of the word of God that fell among thorns that grew up and choked the word, the plant, so that they didn't bear grain. Remember his explanation of that soil. He said, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, Come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Listen, living in Babylon has the terrible effect of choking out the word of God from our lives. Christian, be careful. Your greed and desires not only blunt your discipleship, but they are eternal life-threatening. Last slide. Thanks, Simon. Praise God for chapter 19, where we finish. Briefly, heaven rejoices. Heaven doesn't rejoice briefly, but I'll be brief talking about it. 
after the announcement of the fall of Babylon in chapter 18, in his vision, John hears heaven rejoicing. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Hallelujah. The roar of the great multitude shouts, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong not to Babylon, to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. She arrogantly believed that she would reign forever. Instead, she is punished forever. Judgment Day will reveal the lie that Babylon does not reign, that her glory and power are human and temporary. Verse 6, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? Have a look at the second half of verse 7. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Do you see it? The end of this evil age is the beginning. The evil age of the prostitute is the beginning of the new age of the bride, the bride of Christ, the Lamb, Jesus the Lamb, who was slain in our place, taking away our filth and stain and sin. Please know it as surely as the Babylonian Empire fell and the Roman Empire fell, so all other Babylons will fall. It's only a matter of time for the Western world. In this great vision, God wants to reassure his embattled and tempted people of these three things. Firstly, though Babylon is a formidable satanic force, its days are numbered. Secondly, don't flirt with her. Love God. Love what God loves. And thirdly, her judgment will be our salvation. The prostitute will give way to the bride. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. If we could have the music team come up, please. We've, uh, we've those thoughts to think about as we... Uh,
please stay around as, and have a coffee after our final song. And I'm going to finish with a verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen.